Now, really quick recap uh, for uh, what we've been doing is we actually started a new teaching series uh, through the great book of First Peter. It's a New Testament book uh, towards the end of your Bibles, uh, and this this book of First Peter has this overarching theme that we're we're recognizing called resilient hope. Resilient hope. Uh, and Peter wrote this letter. He wrote First Peter to a group of Christians who could certainly just use some hope, right? They could use hope because uh, they're realizing that even though they're saved, even though they belong to Jesus and, and, and a joy and grace and a hope is available to them, life in this world is still pretty hard. Right? Life in this world is still pretty hard, and so we need a hope that is resilient. And so he, he, he launches into uh, this letter encouraging them with grace and peace. Right? He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so throughout this whole study, our goal is for grace and peace to be multiplied to each of you as we press into what it looks like for us to have resilient hope today. Now we are doing something uh, new and special during this particular series. Uh, we, we created a, a phone number. We set up a phone number that you can text uh, any questions into at any point in time. Uh, you can do it on Sunday mornings, during the service, uh, it, whether you're online or here in person. You can do it after the service or anytime throughout the week. And then our goal is like, if you have any questions based on anything that we're teaching. Maybe it's a point of theology. Maybe you have a question about, man, how do I apply this to my specific situation with this? Um, we would love to just have the opportunity to know how the scriptures are pressing on you and how we can come alongside you to help you grow in your faith. Does that make sense? And so uh, what we're going to do is what we're going to work those questions into the series. We might create special resources like videos that we'll put up online through our newsletter and Instagram and things like that. And so I want to encourage you to use that tool, that resource. Uh, the phone number, if you don't have it, uh, Palmer, do you mind turning to it? Is next one. Uh, 949-229-3779. 949-229-3779. Seven seven nine. And that number is never going to change, so feel free to go ahead and save that number to your phone. Uh, now, last week, we talked about how this hope that we need, this resilient hope of the gospel is, is alive. It's a living hope that, that weaves into our past, forgiving us from past sins, gives us power for the present to live for Christ today, and secures for us an eternal future. All right? That's what we talked about last week. Now, this morning, we're going to wrestle with the reality that even though we have this hope, we still experience pain and hardship and trials in the here and now. All right? So let me pray for us, and then we'll start reading our text, okay? Uh, would you join with me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for uh, just the opportunity that we have to be together, to open up your word. And to consider what it means for us as Christians to have hope. 
not just hope in the abstract, but, but hope in the tangible, hope in the here and now, a living hope, a resilient hope. And Lord, I know that there's some who might be tuning in or present here this morning who uh, just maybe could use a ho- word of hope right now. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just open the eyes of our hearts to see your glory, your beauty, and just the hope that we have in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the first verse that we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 1 is verse 6. Read it with me. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And the ESV says, In this you rejoice. Now, really quick, what is what is this that he's talking about? It's this hope, this living hope that weaves into our past, our present, and future, right? That's what we just read last week. And so here in verse 6, when he says, In this you rejoice, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the hope of the gospel, the pervasive hope, the transcendent hope of the gospel. In that you rejoice, he says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, although now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, how many of us can relate with that verse? You know that you have hope in the gospel that reaches into your past, present, and future. But man, you've been grieved by various trials in the here and now. And so the first point I want us to look like is just the reality of this pain that we have and the source of that pain. That's point number one. The source of our uh, pain. The source of our pain. Here, uh, Peter describes how the hope of Jesus, in this verse, he describes how the hope of Jesus bears weight on the here and now. I want you to notice the words that he uses. Look at the verse. He says, grief, trial. Uh, later on in the next verse, he uses the words test. Uh, those, are, those are not super exciting words, right? No one signs up for those things. No one says, give me more grief, give me more trials, right? Those are not the things that we want to be part of our human experience, and yet they are. All of us experiences these. Now, when Peter says, you rejoice in this hope, though for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, who is the you in that statement? When he says, although you rejoice in this hope, you have been grieved by various trials, who is the you? Remember, Peter is writing, we saw in verse 1, to what he calls the dispersion throughout the region. He's writing to all the Christians that have been multiplied and dispersed out through this region. Now what that tells us is that Peter's intended audience includes all kinds of people. People that live over here, people that live over there, people from uh, different classes, the rich people, poor people, young people, old people, veteran Christians who have been part of the original group of disciples, but also like brand new believers, brand new converts. And yet, he is writing as if trials and suffering is a universal problem. 
some of us entered this Christian walk uh, with this false assumption that the more we grow closer to Jesus, the less trials and problems we'll come across with in life. That's not the gospel. That's what we call the prosperity gospel. And that's heresy. That's heresy. Our hope is not in the present. Our hope is not in material things, created things, possessions. It's not in circumstances. It's in Christ in the midst of our circumstances. And Peter's writing to all kinds of different Christians, uh, telling them, although, you know, at times you've been grieved by various trials, what we see is that trials in life, pain in life, suffering in life does not discriminate. Depending on where you live, what, what social status or class that you have, what job you have, um, whether you, you have a Christian heritage or you're a brand new Christian, none of that matters. We all experience the effects of being in a broken world. And look, this is one of the things that I love about the Bible. One of the things I just love about the Christian scriptures is how they are just honest with us about how life is often just painful. Life can be hard, and things are, do, are, do not always work out the way that we think they ought to. The scriptures, the Bible, that validates that. I mean, when you look at the book of the Psalms, which is the, the largest book of the Bible, if you want to know where the book of Psalms is, just open up your Bible like halfway through, 50% through, and you'll likely be in the book of Psalms. It's the largest book of the Bible. It's filled with poems and songs of people just uh, writing po poetic uh, utterances and songs to the Lord. And that book, the book of Psalms, is filled with praise and joy and hope, but it's also filled with laments and sorrow and protest. God, how could this be? Why are things the way that they are? Where are you? We see in the New Testament, Jesus stands by the graveside of one of his close friends who recently died. The shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. Jesus weeps. And, and that Greek word for weps, it's, it's, not just a, it's not just a sad weeping, it's, it's a sad and an angry weeping, right? Like, he just gets all bent out of shape over, over his friend dying. It's like he's angry at death. And when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night that he is to be betrayed and arrested and led to the slaughter, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he breaks down in tears and in anguish. All throughout the scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that the Bible is not shy with the fact that we experience pain and trials. And this, by the way, is exactly what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. This is what sets apart Christianity from every other religious worldview. 
Like in Eastern religions, like Buddhism, they look at suffering and they say, you know, suffering isn't, isn't, it's not a real thing. It's just an illusion. We feel, you, I mean, you feel like you're suffering, but that's not actually real. It's, a, it's just an illusion. It's a mirage. Or in Western cultures or in modern day secularism, we'll look at suffering as something that's, that's uh, meaningless, right? It's meaningless, like you, you try to avoid it. It's meaningless and then it's just merely bad, right? Like yuck, like just stay away from it. Like try to avoid it at all costs. But Christianity, Christianity is the only religion, it's the only worldview that looks at suffering and trials as not an illusion, but something that's real. But also, it's more, Christianity is more hopeful than Western cultures and secularism in that it's saying that it's not meaningless, but purposeful. And so not only is our suffering real, but it's also purposeful. It serves a divine purpose. And in Christianity, only in Christianity do we see that suffering and glory are bound up together. Later on in First uh, Peter, uh, we'll, we'll see that, that Jesus was glorified through his suffering. He's actually glorified as our Lord, as our Savior, as the only true Redeemer of all that is evil, wrong, and wicked in all creation. He is the only true Redeemer, particularly because he suffers his way to glory, to resurrection and ascension. There's a uh, old poet from the 19 from the 1900s, a guy by the name of Edward Shalito, uh, who spent a lot of time studying these different religions. He was just uh, just fascinated with, enamored with uh, religious studies. And so he studied different religions and his mission was to discover if truth existed and if it did, what is that truth? What is truth? And through his studies over many years, he eventually became a Christian. And he writes that the reason he became a Christian is he saw a huge difference uh, between all the world religions when it came to suffering. There was a, a, or the, he saw a huge difference between Christianity and all the other different world religions when it came to suffering. And he actually wrote a poem where he expounded on this, talking about the various gods and the various religions that exist. Uh, and it's kind of a long poem, but in the last few stanzas, this is what he says. It'll be up on the screen here. He says, The heavens frighten us. They are too calm. In all the universe we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the bomb? Lord Jesus, by thy scars we claim thy grace. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Beautiful description about how our Savior God, the Lord Jesus, is the only divine Savior that can say he knows what it means 
for us as humanity to suffer. Like, do you see what he's saying in this poem? He's, he's saying, I want you to just take a look at your experience on this earth. I want you to consider your experience on this earth so far and ask the question, do you have wounds? Have you experienced pain? Have you walked through various trials? See, that there's only one God. There's only one true God who has wounds that can speak to our wounds. Only one God that has wounds that can make sense of your wounds. There's only one God who's been through the same experience if with these earth with these wounds. In fact, it's only through experiencing our own wounds that we can truly appreciate his. His wounds minister to our wounds. His pains heal our pain. When you consider what he did on the cross in our place for our sins, when you start to consider what he did after just taking stock of our own wounds, when you then start to consider what he did, you see that what he went through for you. And then and only then can you begin to understand just the reality of your pain and the significance of it. And so that leads us into the next verse, where I want us to talk, number two, about the purpose of our pain. Number two, the purpose of our pain. I want you to look at what Peter says about our trials and suffering in verse 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, look, these trials that you're going through are so that your tested genuineness of your faith, these trials serve to test your faith, to strengthen your faith so that the result may be praise, so that the result may be glory, so that you may be glorified, so that you may glory in Christ and honor him at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's coming a time when you're going to see your Savior face to face and all the suffering that you experienced, all the trials that you walked through, all the pain that you endured will not only begin to make sense, but will begin to find purpose. And your praise, your glory, your honor of Him, your appreciation for who He is as your Savior will only increase. And that will also increase your joy. You see, when Peter used that word test, he's not talking about like this exam that you need to pass. When he's talking about this testing of our faith. He's talking more like the, when he uses the word test, what he's talking about is more of like a tempering test. Like when you're tempering uh, like a, a, a resource, like metal, like precious metal. And so when he, when he says that our faith in suffering is getting tested by fire, what he's talking about is this process that metal goes through when it's refined. 
how many of you have ever seen that process, like in a documentary or over at the, you know, the arts festival in Laguna where you see them, you know, they start melting down the metal and start to purify it. And it's just, just this long process. Uh, like when a, when a metalsmith first starts working with metal, it starts in this state called, uh, called ore. Like that's what it's called, metal ore. Right? You ever seen those just like beautiful dangling earrings made out of metal ore? Of course you haven't, right? No, they don't make earrings or jewelry out of metal ore because uh, they, they don't exist. And that's because ore isn't usable for anything strong, for anything shiny or beautiful because it has imperfections. It has no strength, it has no beauty, like that just ore is not usable. And that's why nobody has ore like dangling from their ears or hanging around their neck or blinging on their watch, right? What a metalsmith has to do uh, with that ore is he or, or she will add white hot heat, blazing hot heat, uh, to the metal ore in order to transform it so that its nature can be more purified. You see where this is going? So it's under the testing, under the tempering of the white hot heat, the metal is purified. It becomes stronger. The impurities go away and it becomes stronger. It becomes more beautiful. It becomes worth using. And if we're honest, we can admit that, 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 that our faith is, is, is more often like metal ore than it is like shining gold, is not. Sometimes our faith is flimsy. Our faith has blemishes. There are times that I doubt God's love, His goodness, His wisdom. And all of those things are like little imperfections that rob us from our joy in Christ. Robs us of our faith and of strength and, and beauty. But Peter says when you come to Jesus, and when you're born again, you're like that piece of ore at that moment. And there are times where you will struggle in your faith because of suffering and trials that you're enduring or because of just evil in this world that just slams you, right? Or the heartache that you've been wrestling with in pain and in prayer. And it's in those moments it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit of God wants to apply the white hot heat of the gospel. Taking your faith to places that you never wanted to go in order to produce in you what you can never achieve just merely on your own. You see, God is zealously committed to purifying and strengthening you with the gospel. Right? And for that to happen, we need to walk and endure through pain. We need to grieve through various trials. Now that doesn't in any way diminish the fact that sometimes the trials that we go through are wicked. And sometimes they're unjust. Sometimes we suffer and experience pain at the hands of other people. And that is not fair. 
God hates that. He will vindicate you for that. He will judge them for that. And so this doesn't in any way, the fact that God has divine purposes for our suffering does not in any way diminish the fact that sometimes we uh, experience uh, injustice at the hands of other people, wickedness uh, at the hands of, of uh, sometimes societies and culture. What it does is it adds an extra layer to our suffering and our trials and says that God has a purpose in this that you will find glory on the other side of this suffering. You see, the moments where we wrestle with Jesus in prayer, the moments where we, in the Spirit, just fight to stay grounded in the Gospel, where we feel the grief of loss, the pain of weakness, the, the heartache of lament, those are the moments that the Lord is using to refine us, to purify us, and to strengthen us. That is the purpose that God has for us in our pain. I want you to see now as we close, where we'll get the power to get through this pain. Number three, where do we get the power? Where do we get the endurance, the power to get through our pain? Read verse eight with me. Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you uh, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do you want to know how to live with resilient hope? You love Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. You, you just, you love him, right? You don't have to earn, you don't have to earn your way in, right? You don't have to earn your way in. This isn't a works-based religion, right? He woos you and you just love him back. That faith is a gift and you love him back. That's why it says in verse eight there, though you have not seen him, you love him. You wanna, that's how you live with, resu- uh, with uh, resurrection hope, with resilient hope. You see, Christianity is not about finding Jesus in, in, uh, in, in the abstract, right? It's not about finding Jesus out, out there in like some ethereal way. Christianity is primarily about finding him in history. In history, he was a real person. He really is God who came as man. He came into human history. So we primarily find him in history, seeing what's written about him and revealed about him. It's learning about who he is and what he did through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and loving him for it. That's what Christianity is. Rejoicing because of it. You want to know how Jesus dealt with his own suffering? How he endured through his own pain? Look, no one suffered more than Jesus. No one suffered more than Jesus on the cross. When the Father turned his face away from him. Like, look. Like, we think the most brutal thing that happened to Jesus on the cross is the nails going through his hand and his feet and, like, the blood dripping from the brow uh, through the crown of thorns. 
No, the most painful thing that Jesus has experienced is when the Father, God the Father, turned His face away because our sin was piled onto Him. He not only experienced physical anguish, but emotional anguish, relational anguish, spiritual anguish. And in that place, where did he find his strength and hope? Hebrews 12 actually tells us, if you want to turn there. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, encourages us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter. You could read that as purifier of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did Jesus endure? For the joy that was set before him. That's how he endured. Because of the greater joy that was in front of him. You know what that joy was? It wasn't the joy of heaven. He already had that. He already knew that. That was already his. The Bible says that Jesus was sent for the salvation of sinners like you and me. That is his joy. And knowing that, knowing that Christ's joy is our salvation is what makes him our resilient hope. Amen? Now, does hearing that warm your heart? I mean, let's, let's try and set aside the humidity for right now. <laughs> Consider that reality. That y- your salvation is the joy that made Christ endure. How does that warm you? How does that woo you to Him? See, one of the most amazing acts of God's grace in our hearts is when He actually opens up our hearts to love Him. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are born dead in our sin. Our hearts were facing away from God. And so if there is any love in your heart that you have for God, that's because He made you born again. He gave you a new birth, alive in Christ, reborn. It's because you've been touched by His transforming grace. Look, if your hope is any, in anything other than that, you'll find that your faith, that your faith is, is, is often weak, is often blemished. If your hope is in that you'll be able to uh, 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 you know, manage and control the world around you, uh, maybe with your job, your income, your promotions, then you're going to be really disappointed. If your hope is that your spouse is going to fix all that feels off in you, all that feels broken in the world, well, you're going to be disappointed. And so is your spouse. And if your hope is that you can, you know, just manage or control your own uh, health and vitality, that you can, you know, just uh, eat, 
eat enough, eat, eat as little calories or eat as many greens or do enough yoga to live forever, then you're going to be disappointed. We can't place our hope in anything that is perishable. And all things other than God are perishable. That's what we looked at last week. So the argument that Peter is pushing here is that true, resilient hope will not disappoint because true, resilient hope is rightly placed. Having new life in Christ means that our hope is life in Christ. Our hope is in saying yes to following Jesus and taking steps of faith to grow in grace with Jesus, putting ourselves out there by faith, pressing into a community, like a local church community like this one, knowing that Jesus will be enough for us regardless of the circumstances that we find around us. You see, your resilient hope is not the treasures that you'll see, that the treasures that you seek in this earth, as great as those might be from time to time. Your hope is not in the treasures, treasures you'll see in heaven. As awesome and ama- as amazing they'll be. Your hope is not in the people you'll see in heaven. As amazing as that will be. Our hope, our living hope, our resilient hope, is in finding our treasure in the ultimate person. Finding our ultimate treasure in the ultimate person, our Lord Jesus Christ, your shepherd, your prince of peace, your king of kings, your rock, your refuge, your redeemer, the one who treasures you to the point that he endured the cross in your place, let him be your treasure. The one who wants to change you forever, purify you, and bring you into his forever family. In closing, I want us to read our final verse. We'll actually read the end of verse 8 and into verse 9. Peter says, look, you believe in him. You believe in Christ and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And through that, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. You see, you can have deep joy and hope even in the middle of trials and tests and grief and lament. Because as a Christian, you understand that this pain, this trial, is drawing you closer to Jesus. That is the point I want you to walk away with this morning. That you can have deep joy and hope, resilient hope, even in the midst of various trials and tests, because you understand as a Christian that the trial is drawing you closer to Jesus, showing you more of Him, delivering you closer to the thing that your heart has been longing for the most all along. The salvation of your soul. Maybe this morning you're finding yourself tempted to believe that God is not at work in your life. Because the trials are just so hard right now. 
Ask yourself, do you judge God according to how comfortable He makes your life? That's not the gospel. That's not refining, purifying fire. What's the good news that we need to preach to ourselves? It's that we have a loving Redeemer in Jesus who will use your pain, use your various trials to refine you until you are without weakness and without blemish. Until the day you see Him face to face, He will be purifying you more and more so that His glory will shine through you to a world that desperately needs to see Him. When you're going through trials, let that be an opportunity to say to ourselves, this is love. This is purifying love. Jesus is delivering to me what my heart has been longing for the most, the salvation of my souls. My salvation is becoming more real, more tangible to me because of these various trials. And I get more of Him because of it. Praise God for this trial. My God is loving. He is faithful. He is true. And I look forward to giving Him all the praise, all the glory, all the honor from this trial until the day I see Him face to face and then forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.